Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast, the show where we connect you to the highest quality information and leading professionals in the world of human performance. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Performance Connection Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Bill Willis. Bill, how are you doing? Doing great, Corey. Thanks. Bet. Excited to, uh, to have you on here because, yeah, this is a topic that I've been, it's a huge t- area of interest for me. A lot of people probably have questions about it, and I know we're going to share a lot of good information today. So before we get there, Bill, go ahead and tell the listener who you are, what you've done in your, your educational and professional past, and what you're doing today. I'm currently a, uh, a research scientist at Ohio State University. Uh, the, the path to getting there uh, was was interesting and, and and not typical. Started out just super interesting and in, in, in bodybuilding competition from as far back as I can remember. I came interested in that as a football player. I just like lifting weights more than uh, sure. more than practice and everything. And, and John Meadows was a local guy at the time that was coming up, and I kept hearing about this John Meadows guy that. Could, squatting ungodly amounts of weight. I don't recall exactly how much when he was pretty young and we kind of always sort of crossed paths at the gym there. Mm. And somehow those, I ended up just getting deeper in bodybuilding competition and still enrolled at Ohio State as an undergrad for exercise science. I wasn't super enthusiastic about Mm. that. I ended up switching to chemistry and pre-med and eventually became more interested in just science research. But all of this was sort of driven by the desire to, to figure it out. Like, how can I get bigger, leaner, stronger with nutrition and supplements and training and just all that? And I think that has sort of kept me tethered to the fitness field to this day. I, and to be honest, I kind of stumbled into the field that I'm in now studying mm-hmm. this enzyme system. But I work on uncovering mechanisms that break tolerance of the body to your own proteins, so autoimmunity, and mm-hmm. I think I've unco- uncovered something uh, pretty significant. Working on it really hard, and uh, that's where I'm at now. While I'm still sort of have one foot in the fitness industry as well, <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's a, it's kind of a unique existence. I, I I do think that it gives me a lot of insight, being just in the trenches on the the, the research and sort of biomedical science, and being involved in the fitness field at the same time. I, I should also note that I'm a, a researcher for Examine. Uh, dot com also and we have a lot of exciting stuff going on over there and everybody is sort of like-minded we we want to know how stuff works and if it works and yeah i don't know gosh i bought a muscle tech product that claimed three thousand percent greater protein synthesis and some in the 90s at the arnold expo and i'm still waiting i'm still waiting I, I think that catalyzed a lot of my interest in uh, nutritional and supplementation science also. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you're in three good worlds there. I mean, it, it gives you such a unique perspective, the the hard bench science that you're doing like a, in your yeah. day-to-day. You've got some fitness background from the mountain dog himself, the late John Meadows. Yeah, that great I mean, guy. Rest in uh, peace. He was a yeah, fantastic human. I used to train with him and Dave a bit at the yeah. at the compound out there yeah. and bleed FTS. And that was when John was just making a run for his pro card and he got it, man. Yeah, kinda that the world miss is missing a, a great mm. human there. I'll tell you what. Yeah. I mean <clears throat> to this day, some of the funnest training I've ever done was his stuff. Like 
Yes, I, it's it, too. It works. I was like, I'm so much like yourself, former football player. Okay. I've training, never saw the field. Interesting. Similar trajectory. Yeah. I mean, as a strength coach, I wanted to, I, my, I always said my, as a strength coach, when I was, when I was in that, in that role, my, my goal was always to end the weight room warrior. So I wanted to yeah. have none of them on my team. I, but I was the weight room warrior. I was like the classic man. If you go to the weight room, you're a starter. Wait, where did that guy go on the field? Like, why isn't he out there? That was right. right. So post athletic career was like the bodybuilding years. I didn't compete, but it was okay. like straight up. I, I've trained like John Meadows for I don't know how many years. And yeah, so fun, so innovative. But here's the thing I always found interesting about John. He, he kind of straddled the fence, I would say, from here's the art of bodybuilding. Here's the science. 100%. How do we blend these? <laughs> I guess, how did you see that when you were kind of involved with him and then Looking back, now that you are like very high level in the hard sciences, reflect on that a bit. Have your thoughts changed at all? I can tell you, I don't know how many times John and I in the past had sat down at first watch here, like eating pancakes and, and, and just like hypothesizing about the merit of post-workout nutrition. John <laughs> was all about that. And there, there is some research. That, that is suggestive that there may be an anabolic window. And of course, me being the skeptical scientist would always argue back and forth, but really that, that interplay, that back and forth, and, and just really watching the progress that John got in himself out of his clients when he started manipulating things like that, it was amazing. I, so it's N equals one. There is not a peer-reviewed placebo-controlled study, but what the guy was doing was working. And to me, that was always an important thing that I kept in mind that, yes, there's this study or that study shows this and this experimental model. And as a scientist, I'm very careful to know the limitations of my models. And they're always significant. They're never perfect. And there's always layers below the surface yeah. that are not informed by that model. And just yeah. sort of that back and forth, just, just bouncing ideas off John about that stuff and was so enlightening and I think kind of kept me balanced in between sort of the hard science and, and the art of programming and, and making things happen with, with your training. And a lot of that, I think, came out in our articles. We had a series of articles at T Nation as well. Oh, okay. Um, some of them were pretty in-depth. Gosh, I think we wrote about like insulin signaling and leptin and it was interesting, uh, introducing some pretty nerdy stuff out there. But, you know, it was always sort of that dichotomy between mm. here's the John literally looked like a superhero. Oh, yeah. Then, and then, especially when he would know. actually wear like Hulk shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, not to mention every program has like an Avengers theme. No. Uh, but, but yeah. So, and, and I guess, you know, I, you know, rel in relative to John, I was the dorky scientist there and it worked, man. It was really informative and I really enjoyed it. So, so. The thick of my mountain dog years was when I was actually a res uh, doing some nutrition research. Okay, cool. And man, it was my escape. Like I was, I'm sure you get this. I was like the weird guy who lifted in the lab. Yeah, you probably did. You bring your food to work because that's it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I spend the day in the lab, pipetting these minuscule amounts of fluid, mm -hmm. getting bit by rats and getting peed on, and then oh, you know, go, to, go to the gym afterwards and just crush legs or whatever and put some bands <laughs> on the leg press and people being like dude what are you yes doing? sir and um, that's awesome. that was so much fun 
that was i guess yeah. why i appreciate them it was just fun like yeah. do you need to do like curls before you do anything else on a squat day does that do we I, have any i don't know but like that was fun <laughs> for me i loved yeah. it it was different and i will say so to this day my best friend he like we kind of met during that that those years and mm-hmm. i found out years later he's like dude you were so big I I, th- I thought if you ever tried to right. do anything athletic, you were just gonna keel over. <laughs> so if that was anything, it was worked. <laughs> so. Well, you'll never find a, a PubMed study that says you should train uh, leg curls. The weights jaunt it before squats. But I'll, I'll tell you, actually, that tangent, tangential thought here. But did you happen to read the article Mountain Dog Puke Fest? Um, no, it was, I, it was when. Steve Colescott was working for Dave Tate. Everybody was sort of in town. I believe it was for the Arnold Expo. And John got together some of his out-of-town clients. I was there. Dave Tate was there. One of his good buddies, James, was there. Some other people. And we just had this collective, insane leg workout. And I can't remember who puked. I think it was Dave. Because you expect Dave to do something like that. He's psychotic and awesome. But he was sprawled out on the ground and, and, and they like drew a chalk line around him like it was a crime scene. And this chalk line like was there for months afterwards. Yeah. Hilarious. Classic article. That, in a nutshell, explains John's leg training, which I'm sure you're intimately familiar with. Well, I just remember people coming up to me. I'm an hour in and like, man, that was a really good session. And I'm like, I'm halfway done, dude. Yeah, we're, we're just... I finished leg curls. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh man! Well, yeah, that that is that's some, yeah great times of of training in in my life, and uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like John Meadows was. I mean, hugely influential for me on nutrition too. With the whole, yeah, like, do you care about nutrient timing and all those kinds of things. So, so today we're not bodybuilding necessarily, yeah. but you know, this is something that a lot of people wonder about. It's becoming more and more popular. <clears throat> with the advent of more and more companies doing things like green powders and on the surface, greens powders are very attractive, right? Oh, okay. I can get servings of fruits and vegetables by drinking this five to 10 gram powder, dose of powder. What could be easier? (laughs) And, and, oh, okay. I don't like it, but maybe I can chug this down or maybe I can mix it with a smoothie. Sure. And of course this raises questions within the nutrition community. And I guess what I've always found interesting about greens powders is like the common criticism Mm -hmm. is, well, yes, you're taking this thing to get extra vitamins and minerals and nutrients, but you, you don't know how much is in there. Okay. Right. Typically now compare that to a multivitamin. Multivitamin has if it's good, I mean, it'll have the listing of the amounts of the vitamin compared to the daily values. If it's a good one, it'll list the form of the vitamin so you know what you're taking. The common criticism with that is always, well, you're missing all the food stuff. Like you're missing all the extra right. phytonutrients, the, these other things, these other compounds and foods that we are getting that you don't get through an isolated vitamin and mineral. Oh, okay. Right. So neither one is good, so to speak. But I've always liked yeah. that aspect of greens powders as, or fruit and vegetable powders, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. I like thinking that I'm, I'm getting more of the whole food aspect here. Right. But I don't right. know vitamin and mineral wise what I'm getting. So we'll talk about that. But before we 
for sure. Get there. I do want to talk about, um, I guess, how these products are made. So this powder that I get in the bottle, what do we know about how those start? And then what happens to them through that processing? That's a great question. And at some level, they're sort of lyophilized or or freeze-dried. They have to, the liquid has to be taken out of them. Whether that affects some of the the phytonutrients or the food matrix, so to speak, in a way that would affect bioavailability, nobody knows. They probably would need to be kept cold. I'm assuming some companies do that. As far as I know, it's not widely disclosed that, you know, I, this isn't something I've looked into in depth, but essentially they are powdered, ground up and dried through some type of process. I'm sure there's people that are far more knowledgeable about that than, than I possibly industry people as well, if, if that's even something they disclose. So, well, it's just interesting because I'm like yourself, I've tried several different brands and several different yeah. products the consistency of the actual powder itself is very different product to product it's all over the place yeah. so it's kind of i'm kind of like all right what what's being done here but the bigger question is what happens to the nutrients right yes so okay the in theory yes we are hopefully getting more of this food matrix that exists within the whole food itself right and transferring that to the powder, and then we take it and has hopefully the same physiological effects. <clears throat> what do we know about what happens through these, like the lyophilization process or freeze drying mm-hmm. process? I got to think that does impact the nutrient content and the bioavailability or the usability, so to speak, of these compounds. Like, can yeah. you speak to that at all? Well, I've I don't have an answer for you, but it's something that I've thought a lot about. Sort of to back up a little bit, you have the straight up multivitamins that are just inorganic vitamins and minerals. Well, actually, not they're not all inorganic, but vitamins and minerals that are just packaged into a pill versus uh, whole food sourced products. And as you mentioned, for the former, you have exact amounts, but who knows their bioavailability. For the latter, you don't have a comprehensive listing of everything that's there. But the assumption is that it's more bioavailable because it's derived from whole food. We need to take a a real close look at that assumption because we just don't know. There has been some testing for, there's one greens product in particular um, has funded some research and there's peer-reviewed studies that show an increase in plasma, vitamin and mineral levels, as well as antioxidant capacity, Hmm. specifically after taking that supplement. Now, that greens powder supplement. So that demonstrates bioavailability. But for the rest of them, who knows? I mean, if the assumption is they all act the same, then yes, you are absorbing nutrients. Have they been compared to the typical vitamin and mineral supplement that's not whole food derived? Not that I know of. Uh, There's just a lot of uncertainty there. And I think we have to be careful making the assumption that just because this is derived from whole food, it acts like whole food. And I guess that's where we should introduce the context of, and not a food scientist, I work on autoimmunity, but uh, (laughs) this concept of a food matrix and Mm -hmm. that the sort of the physical form of whole foods in terms of how we consume them, some of that is lost, all of it, potentially in processing these things into green powders. And the question is, how much of that is important for making these individual or 
types of phytonutrients bioavailable? We don't know, but we do have one really good example, and that's the, the isothiocyanate compounds in cruciferous vegetables. So there's been a ton of research on that, hmm. and we can get into that later. So it's a big question mark. Yeah, and the other question mark would be, okay, we have an increase in these blood levels of the vitamin or and we have this increase in antioxidant activity, but the sure. magnitude would still matter there, right? Okay, we've done this, but is it meaningful? Will this ultimately lead to better health and or performance outcomes? Yes. Well, like there's a partial answer to that question. And okay. if you don't look at the whole picture, it looks very good for the green powders. <laughs> uh, antioxidant activity is tested in vitro generally through an ORAC, S-A-O-R-A-C. And basically, you take the supplement or whatever you're testing, and you test its ability to, uh, to neutralize the reactive oxygen species in a test tube. It's yeah. a great readout. It gives you a number. You can test the variance, get statistics. I mean, it just gives you really solid data. But here's the problem. Antioxidants that we consume in whole food don't all have direct antioxidant activity. And that's where things get f confusing. For um, sure. Some of them work through indirect mechanisms by stimulating the body to fire up these global antioxidant response programs that you could argue are much more powerful in terms of health benefit compared to just bulk squelching, direct squelching of ROS, yeah. especially if you look at research on antioxidant supplements. Heck, I mean, you can probably find some studies in smokers where all-cause mortality went up in smokers who took, I believe, vitamin E and vitamin C. Don't quote me on that. It was one of those. Yeah, but there's some there's some funny stuff happening with that research and just loading up on the big the holy grail used to be neutralizing cortisol. I don't know if you remember that era. Charles oh, Poliquin yeah. actually threw it out there and, and made it really popular. I was a big fan of his. That uh, <laughs> there was a there's some evidence out there that vitamin C reduces cortisol levels. Yeah. So everybody loaded up on 10 grams of vitamin C post workouts. And then if you actually looked at controlled studies where they were testing that it actually reduced your ability to adapt and respond to exercise because we need that oxidative insult to yep. fire up these endogenous antioxidant systems that are so much more powerful. It's part yeah. of the stimulus to, to change and yeah. grow is that insult. Well, getting back to the, the greens powders thing, some of the, the compounds and greens powders with some of the most potent indirect antioxidant activity are actually poisons, but there's a tiny little bit there and it's, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of, hor of hormesis, a yep. low dose of something. That for the listener. Well, hormesis is essentially, to put it in more simple terms, the dose makes the poison. If we take uh, very low amounts of substances that would be extremely toxic in much higher amounts, it kind of tickles the, the cellular stress response system and, and results in a, a powerful, paradoxical, like antioxidant, anti-stress detoxification effect. Mm. Very powerful. In fact, some of the compounds in cruciferous vegetables are just potent anti-cancer yeah. compounds through that mechanism. It, it doesn't affect healthy cells. The healthy cells are fine. It's like sort of, you have the hormesis thing going on, but they just decimate cancer cells uh, yeah. in vitro. Not to say that you can cure cancer with taking no, but broccoli that's... powder, but but that's the greater issue with a lot of these phytonutrients, 
right? Mm. Well, first of all, it's, yes. it's interesting that many of the beneficial phytonutrients for humans are poisons that the <laughs> plant uh, produces sure to protect themselves from the elements. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah, um, no doubt. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> in cruciferous vegetables, I think sulfur, I think you're talking about sulforaphane, right? Yeah, that's one and, of them. Yep. And so let's say you have broccoli. You've got this intact sulforaphane. When we eat that, it'll have this effect. If we eat the broccoli itself, right? Mm-hmm. Now we powderize the broccoli. Will that then have the same effect? Do we know this or, or what do we know from that standpoint? That is, is super interesting. And I wish I paid more attention in biology <laughs> in my early we all? Classes, but especially <laughs> plant biology because they start talking about plant enzymes they're like i don't care about that yeah. but but see, i guess we're back full circle here yeah the broccoli story is interesting because it's been surmised that these isothiocyanate compounds exist in, in cruciferous vegetables as a protection mechanism from animals that just eat bushels of green stuff right? We don't. We're not going to eat 50 pounds of broccoli. So these molecules no. are toxic, but there's an enzyme in, let's take broccoli, for example. It's called myrosinase, mm-hmm. right? And sulforaphane, which is in broccoli, is actually not present in that form. It's present in a precursor form called a glucofuranin, okay? And then when the plant gets damaged, so like through chewing, it's, this enzyme is sequestered inside the plant cellular structure where it doesn't have access to the glucoforanin. But the thinking is, it's most people think this evolved in nature as sort of a protective mechanism for the plant. Otherwise, they'd just be mass consumed. And so that matrix is destroyed. The myrosinase is released. It reacts with its substrate, the glucoforanin, makes sulforaphane. That sulforaphane is the bioavailable form that we absorb. The problem is, and this is why it's commonly recommended that you not steam broccoli for too long, high heat denatures that enzyme and eliminates the ability to convert that precursor form into the active form after you eat it. I guess I shouldn't act like it's so simple. It's came to light that we do have gut bacteria with myrosinase activity that are present in varying amounts. It's never simple as we think, right? For sure. And certain individuals perhaps reflective of their gut microbiome constitution, possibly may be able to convert more of these glucofuranin precursors to sulforaphane in processed products with the dead myrosinase enzyme. But one thing that we do know, if you pulverize and freeze dry broccoli, that enzyme is dead for sure. And there's actually been a ton of research on that just because these compounds are such potent anti-cancer agents. So there's been a big push for that. A lot of the funding comes from the NCI and that's the National Cancer Institute and different public funding because there's a big push to anything we can find to to suppress or prevent cancer. And what we do know is that, well, there's one study in particular where the powdered broccoli was combined with broccoli sprouts and that seemed to sort of supplying that extra live enzyme rescued it. Now, there may be additives. I I believe mustard seed may have myrosinase. I don't actually know if the greens powders companies, getting back to that, are combining these things in a way that's not lost. But my my take is this is just one phytonutrient. And and there's thousands in this product, and some we haven't identified yet, probably. 
Clearly, foods are so complex and interact with our body and and gut microbiomes in in such complex ways. It's just hard to know. And I don't know the answer to this question, but I'm operating under the assumption. I sort of take the, I take a perspective like from the hundred thousand foot level. So you have all these studies that test, okay, vitamin and mineral supplements versus five to seven servings of uh, fruits and green leafy vegetables per day, right? The latter clearly is healthy. It, it has positive health effects, decreases disease biomarkers. Uh, it impacts all-cause mortality in the right direction. The former, nothing, crickets, right? Hmm. And we have to ask the question whether greens powders are equivalent to whole food in that way. And if we were to look through the lens of the glucopyranin, sulforaphane, cruciferous vegetable angle, I would say I would put my money on not. A lot of that may be lost, but you know, there's just a lot we don't know. And there's probably not a huge incentive to fund research in that area. Yeah, if right. you're making a ton of money selling a supplement, why are you going to fund research to, to prove that it doesn't work? <laughs> For sure. And there's just no incentive. So, And you probably have as with many products, you've curated a following of people that swear by it. Um, yes, no doubt. So I do want to, I do want to go back to the ORAC yes. score a little bit because unless I, unless this has changed, this is typically <clears throat> how the company kind of comes up with it equivalency slogan. Like this is one serving is equivalent to 10 servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Oh, yeah. because of this ORAC score. Mm-hmm. has this equivalent amount of antioxidant activity, which you already said, well, that's only one way to measure right. what antioxidant activity a compound has. Mm-hmm. People don't, don't know what they don't know, so they don't really know. Like That's just such yeah. an isolated thing. It's only antioxidant activity. Okay, you're squelching some reactive oxygen species, but right. there's way more to health than that. There's way more to things that fruits and vegetables provide than that. And that's always been some kind of my issue with this equivalency. And the bigger issue is what is an efficacious dose of any of this stuff so a typical greens powder that i've seen is going to be the total dose is going to be somewhere between five to ten grams that's like the scoop right if you look at a lot of the labels usually a significant portion of that scoop is going to be like one to two maybe three grams of like wheatgrass yeah so a lot of it all right well third of your dose is already taken up by wheatgrass which wheatgrass is probably fine i don't i mean tastes terrible but it's probably yeah. good good for you in some way shape or form it's green i mean yeah it's green it makes yeah. it green yeah and then the rest of it is just filled with this cacophony this mm-hmm. laundry list of all these ingredients yeah very likely multiple proprietary blends that have their own issues so like you might have this Greens proprietary blend that has 20 different powderized greens, right? Broccoli, spinach, whatever it may be, that might equal half a gram, 500 milligrams. But divide that by by 20 ingredients, you've got very little of each. Mm -hmm. That's just one. And then you do maybe do the same with a fruit blend. And then maybe there's all these other things like, you know, it's really popular to have enzymes in there. It's really popular to have things that maybe look nice on. A label, right. but then they might have 10 milligrams of it. And that's what I see in so yeah. many different greens powders is like, all right, let's say it has 50 milligrams of blueberry powder. Does that do anything? What's an efficacious dose of blueberry powder? If I take 
right. the cup of blueberries in my yogurt that I have in the morning or whatever, and I powderize mm-hmm. that, is that end up being 10 milligrams? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't. There's, that's so small. But yeah, yeah. that's where I always come. I don't know what to tell people because I'm, I don't know enough about the food science and manufacturing aspect of. Right. Nobody does. <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. Is this really minuscule amount of powder? Huge concern. Yeah. That's why yeah. I don't know. And then if I look at, okay, this is only a five gram dose total. Right. I, yeah. I've just really seen just from a purely uh, logistical standpoint, if we've crammed 50 ingredients into five gram dose and two of that is already taken yeah. up by wheatgrass. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the rest of them are doing much for you. 100%. I, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. It's one of the, the biggest concerns with these products is there's a laundry list of superfoods. I mean, just look in a label for mini greens powder supplement and then do a search on examine.com for that supplement. It's probably good stuff, but you'll also read on the website the dosages that were tested in mm-hmm. human trials. And a lot of the times, if there even is a dose, like you said, it may be a 500 milligram proprietary blend. If you do the math, like that entire proprietary blend that includes seven superfoods, d- does it even reach the bar of the dose that had yeah. e- efficacy in human trials? I mean, mm-hmm. I think I, I noticed ashwagandha in mm-hmm. a green powder supplement that I had. I'm like, oh, cool. It's there. Then I'm like, oh, here's it's a 500 milligram proprietary blend and, and there's seven other things in here mm-hmm. and they're listed I think they legally have to be listed in order from my way. Yeah. Well, was last on the list. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, like, it looks nice. It's there. They can say that they have it on a marketing yeah. in, the, in the label, but they might have five milligrams of it. Or Maybe one. smarter There's... people in math than I could figure out, like it could calculate with all those variables. I don't know if it's possible, but it's not much. I do know that. And that essentially is the problem. With these supplements, we just don't know what we're getting. We can assume that a lot of the time that you are not getting an efficacious dose. I, I would think that should be the default assumption over all else. If I were to see, and I do see some value in, in greens powders, but it's not in being a whole food replacement by any stretch of the imagination. It's possibly fortifying vitamin and mineral levels that you're not getting elsewhere maybe in a more bioavailable form. I mean, just there's little evidence to verify that, but I, mm-hmm. I think it's a it's an assumption you could make. But yeah, there's a there's issues. And when yeah. you I guess getting back to your point about this is equivalent to X amount of blueberries or or whatever based on ORAC score, that's a problem. Because yeah. this is a very narrow thing, as we just mentioned. There's many other sort of layers to that. And if we were to take that comment at face value and just sort of apply it to the whole thing and just turn our brains off, okay, cool. Green leafy vegetables are good for you. All these superfoods are good for you. Orac score is more than whatever, more than a bushel of blueberries. We're good, man. I don't ever need to eat vegetables again. And I I don't think uh, the companies sort of come out that hard in their marketing, but the implication is there. And as a consumer, we need to be careful about that, both yeah. from a, like, A, are we making the optimal choices for our health? And B, are we wisely using our resources to that end? And you need to take a hard look at that for sure. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, that's always the issue that dietitians have with it. Yeah. Yes, the company isn't maybe outright saying you don't need to eat whole fruits and vegetables, but human nature dictates that. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. the, li- that's the like, line of, of thinking. Like, yeah, well, yeah. we're good. I got my greens powder today. And in multivitamins have the same criticism, the yeah. same fear. No doubt. And I flip back and forth on my thoughts with greens powders because as much as I love this idea of getting the entire food matrix. Yeah. At least with the multi, I know what I'm getting in a, in the form, and we know that we do have quote unquote la- like synthetic forms of things that are more bio- bioavailable than the natural sure. occurring, and the, it's more potent too, right? It can be maybe I can take yeah, it, it, it's more direct, but I do want the, all the other stuff. I want all these other health promoting compounds no that come with no. uh, the fruits and vegetables themselves. For sure. So now another thing, though, that has been <clears throat> tied to greens powders, and it and this goes into the supplement industry as a whole, mm-hmm. which we could also tie into the proprietary blend aspect because um, that first ingredient in a proprietary blend is the most prevalent, and that whole the whole blend could be taken up by that one ingredient, and the rest is one percent of it. The other issue here is safety testing, contaminants adulteration, mm-hmm. things like that. And I know that some greens powders have had pretty pretty dangerous levels of heavy metals in it, right? Y- yes, I- I've heard that. I know after, I'm not sure at what point that came to light or which brand it was, I, some of the other brands test for them and it's actually part of their, their labeling. But yeah, I mean, anything that's mass produced and ultra processed in a factory. And you know, it, it's funny, I, I just said ultra processed. I don't know if I've ever sort of parse that through my brain in the context of green powders, but I mean, that puts it in Twinkie territory, right? So, <laughs> I mean, it's something Wait, to consider. You're avoiding all processed foods, but you take a green powder? But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, th- that would be the definition of ultra processed. I- I'm sure there's some extra magic chemistry that happened for Twinkies. I don't even think they're available sure. anymore. They probably all cause mortality was convincingly down, I'm sure, with those. But yeah, we just don't know. And it's important to know what you're getting, where you're getting it from. A lot of these companies, it's just not disclosed. So you're essentially just trusting them. And we know for better or worse that the supplement industry is not regulated very well at all, unless a company stands to make billions of dollars from something that actually works. And then it gets classified as an investigational drug. And I'm talking about NMN here. <laughs> yeah, yep, I, yep, uh, I follow you. Yep. And in full closer, being sarcastic. But yeah, aside from that, there's not a whole lot of regulation to the supplement industry. And, and we do have to be careful. So For sure. So as far as you're aware, you kind of mentioned the, the trial that was funded by one of the companies. Are there, mm-hmm. are there trials that are strictly clinical trial just done by a lab that, are, that, that don't have that outside influence? Are you aware of any? And then I guess, do you know what the findings are or have been? I'm not. Yeah, I'm not aware of any non-industry funded mm-hmm. research in that space. That's not to say that there may have been. I mm-hmm. haven't looked recently. I, I kind of sure. dove into this for another project several months ago. And I was, I mean, I was encouraged that, that a company did actually put their product out there and funded an independent academic lab to test mm-hmm. it. And, you know, if you're looking at plasma antioxidant activity and plasma bioavailability of the, the nutrients that test, they tested for, it was good. But it shows that these things are bioavailable. But 
And I guess, and this is the problem with how research funding happens in the first place. The major huge trials, a lot of them are funded by big pharma, or if there's a pressing public health issue, some of the public funding institutions like the NIH or NSF, maybe to a certain extent, fund some of that stuff. But it's just not there. And there's no incentive, really, unfortunately, to do that. I, I wish there was this independent organization with unlimited funds that would just test the heck out of everything. That would be awesome. Perfect world. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'd be having a completely different conversation right yeah. now, but there's just so much we don't know. I think we can look, th- there's still a lot of value to industry funded research. We just have to, we have, to, and we should do this anyways. When we're reading a study, look very carefully at the conclusions and sort of weigh them out for ourselves and not just sort of read the abstract and say, oh, this works, great. How many times, especially in the nutritional space, have I read a paper, I read the abstract, I'm like, wait a minute, their data does not show this at all. How did this even get through peer review? There's a lot of stuff out there like that. So we have to be good consumers of the research literature as well. And that's something we're big on at Examine. I probably have a page out there. Or or you could go to this website called examine.com. (laughs) Hey, yeah, we can assist with that for sure. We sort of exist in the space, in that space of sort of helping people figure out what's true and what's not when it comes to supplement claims. So, yeah. So if you're a listener and you're interested in, okay, what do we currently know about greens powders? There's a page on Examine about that written by Performance Connection podcast alum, Gabrielle Fandero. So you can uh, check that out, listen to her episode. And then actually, another one of our previous podcast guests, Angie Ashy, she also has some articles on greens powders as well, where she talks about some of the research. But it's been underwhelming. That's the thing. It's yeah. been underwhelming. And like you said, it's industry-funded research. It's still valuable, but you want to see more sure. that's not, that tells you the same story, that has the same outcomes. Or otherwise, yeah, it's just kind of a sit-and-wait game. Now, we're, I think we both said we're not like anti necessarily greens powders we're kind of on the fence we go back and forth if somebody wants to take a greens powder what are some things they can look for that least indicate yes this might be beneficial for me if they want to try it personally i would be attracted to a product that actually has testing for plasma bioavailability and a list of micronutrients I don't know if it'll be as comprehensive as what you would get with the synthetic ones, but you know yeah. something that that tells me everything that was there. And, and and if I were to personally use them and have personally used them in that capacity, it's more as a vitamin and mineral supplement. And I can tell you, I sort of transitioned from just the synthetic multivitamins to greens powders. To you know, then I started thinking about it, and you've raised a lot of the issues that I was sort of pondering back then. I'm like, wait a minute, why not just I mean, literally every day I'm dumping a, a few cups of green stuff into a Vitamix and blending it up with some other ingredients. And it's all there then, mm. you know, I'm not, there's no lyophilization or freeze dried or shelf life or it's all going down the hatch and imminently destroyed form. You know? <laughs> so I'm an, I'm a huge advocate of that. It's a little more of a pain, but Hey, I, I guess there's no free ride when it comes to good health and nutrition. No, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. There, there definitely isn't, and I think I've only seen one. I've only seen one brand actually list out the vitamin mineral content of their product. It may be the same one that has done the testing. If, um, okay. if we're thinking of the same one, okay, yeah. 
now here's another thing that some companies have done. So supplement marketing is super weird. But the FDA does regulate post-market. They regulate the, the labels and, and they regulate those things. But then the FTC regulates the marketing. Now, there's, as I understand, there's kind of a loophole where if the marketing dictates or, or suggests that its intended use is more of a food product than a mm-hmm. supplement, they can change the labeling. Interesting. Now, I came across this because one day I was curious. I'm, I, just, I like to see what's out there, what are brands doing. And I noticed this one brand had nutrition facts as the label. I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, what? This is a supplement. Why does it say nutrition facts? So uh, I oh, asked a few dietitian friends of mine, and they said, yeah, if they market it. Actually, one of them was Ben Esgro, who also a former guest on this podcast. Okay. He said, yeah, if they market it as a food product rather than a supplement, they can mm-hmm. use nutrition facts. And what they then do can do is instead of having the ingredient listed in the label itself, it's just in the huge ingredient list. Vague. They yeah. basically turned their whole product into one proprietary blend. And I'm like, Ugh, I don't want that. Well, like, yeah, I guess from their standpoint, that's brilliant. Only yeah. for people uh, just a little bit that, that seems promising. Um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah. Well, this came up with the, the NMN story is technically still legal as a food additive. And what you're talking about is companies parsing sort of the classification as a dietary supplement or a actual food product. And that has legal implications. It yeah. seems that are being exploited. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. That, that was something I didn't know about. And yeah, the more you look into, you always find these little wrinkles. And unfortunately, yeah. The people who know them, the wrinkles, are supplement formulators. Like those are really the people yeah. who know the wrinkles. And there are some really good people out there like Ben who are very open about everything. He's very open. He's been on he's been on the Eric Helms podcast <laughs> numerous times discussing some of these topics. We discussed it on, on ours. We we discussed uh, fat loss ingredients, okay. things like that. But by and large, and this is honestly when I was looking for somebody to do a greens episode, I was like stuck. <laughs> because the only people I knew that might be able to get at these more processing manufacturing questions, yeah, make them. And there's obviously a ton of conflict of interest there. Like I, so it was really hard for me to find. And so, and, and that's the issue with supplements in general that I found because I I have a presentation on evaluation. Okay, and that's where I had to turn to. I had to turn to people that like, all right. I know people who make supplements. I know supplement formulators. I know they're good people. And that's where I had to find my information because otherwise you you can't find it anywhere else. So yeah, uh, greater discussion there, greater thing there, but definitely all those things come into play with greens powders and things like that. So Bill, before we kind of wrap up today, is there anything else you'd like to leave the listener with on, on just green powders in general or this topic at large? Well, yeah, just do your best to seek out the in, all the information that you can to become an informed consumer. And we need to sort of program ourselves to be much more resistant and less susceptible to advertising hype. The first thing that we should do is look to research. Now, it's not easy to just do a PubMed search for greens powders. You will not find much. You'll find a couple of things that, that are informative, 
But do your homework, check out resources like examine.com. I mean, we have a lot of scientists and researchers from various fields that, that work tirelessly every day to, to increase the amount of content that we have on that stuff. And I find that super helpful. If I want to know about ashwagandha, examine is the first place I go. Yep. PubMed later, because I don't want to parse through 10,000 yep. published studies, phytonutrient mm-hmm. studies. But yep. but yeah, be an informed consumer. It's important and ask the hard questions. And yeah, it's so refreshing, man, that I got to chat with you. I, I can tell that you've taken a, a very clear-eyed and skeptical look you know, at these products. And it seems like you ended up in a similar place to me that you see value. But my thought is I go back to high intake of whole foods, green leafy vegetables, that sort of thing, decreased all-cause mortality. We cannot assume because antioxidant or the uh, greens powders rather have a high ORAC score mm-hmm. that they're going to get the increasing health benefit territory mm-hmm. of, of whole foods, green leafy vegetables, that sort of thing. For so sure. It's very important Absolutely. not to mistake one for the other. Yep, no doubt. And from if I could add a little bit of, I guess, my own advice regarding looking at these products. Yeah. I would have a very hard time believing that any product that is like only a five gram total dose is going to do much for you. Yeah. So I would say at the minimum, I would want a total dose to be around 10 grams total. And then I would look at the total number of ingredients. If there's just mm-hmm. like tons of them, like we call it in, we call this the laundry list, right? Of course. If, if there's <laughs> multiple proprietary blends, if it's like, just so many ingredients. And even yeah. if you don't know milligram amounts, if it just seems so tiny, like 10 or 50, and a lot of them are like that, then I would pass on that. There's just no way that's going to have any kind of efficacious dose. And then like Bill said earlier, if it's tested in some way, if there's published research on it, if they give you the, the more transparency on the label, the better. If they give no you doubt. the actual vitamin and mineral content, amounts that's good but otherwise like the vast majority of these products violate almost all of that small dose proprietary blends minuscule amounts tons of ingredients that's i guess the best advice i can give with regards to this 100 percent. and in fact i would even go so far as to say if you see the words proprietary blend red black you'll instantly turn on your spider sense and Mm -hmm take a, a deeper look at that product. And possibly that's all of them. <laughs> I guess that's skeptical. Very few that here. don't, for sure. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Bill, this has been a really awesome discussion. If people want to follow you, learn more about you, where can they go? Well, I have a lot of articles up at examine.com. So check me out on examine and definitely check out examine.com for info on this type of stuff. Absolutely. Sure. And the team that examine has compiled. <laughs> Yeah, it's Holy free. cow. Like I free was looking. Crazy. So in my role, I'm always looking for authors, always looking. And so yeah. I, I go to places like Examine or these other education-based companies that I know do a good job. And I look at who's working for them. And I'm like, the people with the backgrounds in everything, so, so qualified. It's pretty incredible. It's really exciting to sort of get in a discussion with that crew and just sort of bounce ideas. Everybody is sort of brilliant in in their own sort of individual Mm -hmm. way, and everybody's a little bit weird, but everybody gets along great. You need that, man. Well, from the get-go, Kamal, the uh, director, his hiring process is 
is sort of all about that, creating this just really well gelled team that just works great together. And, and he's been very successful. But yeah, I mean, we have expert statisticians, you know, and cringe when I get knee deep into epidemiology and statistical stuff. And there's people over there that just, they just eat it up and combine all that together. You have something very powerful. So yeah, hundred percent. All right, Bill, again, uh, great discussion and I uh, truly appreciate your time. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great to talk to you, Corey. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Performance Connection podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review, share on social media, and on Instagram, tag at Performance Connection Podcast, all one word. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. Thanks again, and I hope you'll keep listening or check out other episodes.